This is episode number 58. What does it mean to truly belong somewhere? With Brian Kelly. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, struggle, and suffering in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, struggle, and suffering in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to answer some of the questions that I've been receiving regarding one of our upcoming events, Where Do You Belong, in Austin, Texas on May 25th. The questions that I've been getting are, what is this event about? What type of people are going to it? Um, How are some of the things that I'll get out of this event impact the life that I'm living right now? And the way that I would like to answer those is simply this way. This is an event where you will get a chance to network with hundreds of people who are going through a similar transformation that you are. This is an event where you will be exposed to workshops that are intended to help you recreate your own sense of belonging by giving you practices and strategies that are focused on helping you find and connect with your tribe, increase your self-belief, work through different forms of adversity, and increase your positive self-talk. For those that would like to know more information about the event, please go to overcomingodds.today forward slash where do you belong. Now, let's get back to our guest. Today's guest is a good friend of mine. His name is Brian Kelly. He is the owner of a business called Brian Kelly Leadership Coaching, which works with inclusive business leaders and their teams to create more human workplaces and better business results. For those that are curious more about his work, some of the things that he does and works with his clients on are career clarity, career transition, leadership development, developing diverse leaders and teams, greater work joy, higher performance, and better relationships. Without further ado, please welcome Brian Kelly. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Ads podcast. Today's guest is someone who reached out to us through another mutual connection of ours, Kiara Omens, who is one of the people that had shared her story of being adopted about five or six months ago, maybe even longer. And so the person's name, his name is Brian Kelly. He had reached out to us because he's connected to her and he wanted to be a part of the work that we're doing. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to bring him on live and have him share a lot of his background and his experience and more so connect on the topic that we are going to be exploring for the next month or so, and that is belonging. So what does it mean to really belong somewhere? How do you truly know when and where you belong? Without further ado, please welcome Brian Kelly. Thank you all for having me on today. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. What I wanted to do in the way that I would like to start off this episode is have you share a little bit about your upbringing and your past and how some of those experiences have shaped you in becoming the type of person that you are and following this particular profession. 
Great. So um, just a little background on me. I was born and raised in suburban New York City. Um, so middle class household. Um, played a lot of sports, which is uh, part of my story. And uh, there's a relationship there between team and belonging that we can probably explore a little further. Mm -hmm. um, went to um, college up north of Boston and um, then settled down in DC. Initially started my own business, um, uh, trying to turn a hobby into a, a business. And then ultimately um, navigated into uh, the corporate world, working in IT and HR for a Fortune uh, 100 organization. And uh, through that journey, um, and through a mentor of mine connected to um, how I really wanted to uh, contribute and serve the world, and that's through uh, personal professional development and coaching. So I went to mm. Georgetown University for my first certification um, at that point, which was in uh, late 2012, early 2013, I knew that's where I wanted to go in terms of my career and how I was going to, as I said, contribute and um, serve the world. And I've been on that journey ever since working with individuals to um, embrace who they are and um, identify, connect with and live into their human greatness. Mm. And so that's sort of where we are now in terms of um, trying to bring more human leadership to the workplace, to life, uh, to individuals and helping them connect um, with their brilliance. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that and congratulations on the journey that you've been this far. The question that I have for you, and this is something that you briefly touched on, is that topic of belonging and your relationship that you have, especially when it comes to playing team sports, which I completely agree and can relate to as someone who had played team sports in high school and in college myself. Take us through a time when you did feel like you belong somewhere and didn't. And through it, help us identify the elements that really make up what it means to belong in a particular time or space. Okay, and so I may start with where you, the last part of what you asked about, what are the elements of belonging? And so mm -hmm. it's acceptance, it's connection, it's inclusion, it's trust, um, it's a safe space. And so uh, I think back to early childhood and, and I played team sports all the time and I was fortunate enough that my best friends were the people that I ended up playing with, particularly soccer. <laughs> and so, we, and we just, you know, we all kind of gravitated towards it. We happened to be fairly good and had some success there. Um, but the sense of belonging there was like I was playing. I had my brother was one of the, I have a twin brother, so he was always on the teams with me. But it felt like I had like 12 or 15 brothers. Mm. And it was just like, uh, it was all about team and um, how I could kind of play a role on the team to serve the team. And so it was all about um, this brotherhood sort of. And, um, so much so that we would like practice, we would go to practice, but we always in our free time go out and play small sided games and do stuff. And so there's just this element of wanting to be with one another just because you enjoyed the company. And so when you get into that place where um, there's meaning, and that's another important aspect of belonging is meaning. And you've got that relationship um, built that, hey, I wanna spend time with these people. Um, you crave not just any belonging, but there's specific belonging to these relationships you've built that are, have meaning that um, 
when you don't have that, it's noticeable and um, you feel, you feel different that way. And so I go back to, you know, my early childhood when we had this uh, team called the Larchmont Lightning and we traveled uh, to play travel games and um, all the way up through high school, uh, played together for about a good decade or so. And mm -hmm. I don't know that a lot of people have that. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, but that's sort of, um, I guess, from a group perspective, I'll go back even further as being a twin. I, I felt like I've had belonging my whole life um, where not many people do because we both came into the world together. So I always had somebody there with me. And so that's another dynamic maybe of being a twin that I didn't truly fully appreciate um, early on that maybe I do more now is that, um, you know, people ask how it's like being a twin. I was like, I don't know any different, right? It's just, mm -hmm. that's how my life was mm -hmm. since I came to the world. And so there's an element of having that special connection that's uh, important from a belonging perspective because I always had someone there um, in terms of somebody meaningful in my life. Mm -hmm. Now take us to a time when you didn't feel like you belong and, and what do you think was missing during that particular time frame? And so uh, I reflect back on um, how I felt incongruent in the workplace, right? And so um, I'm now doing uh, work related to and getting involved in communities related to creating a more human workplace. And so uh, having grown up in the industrial age and the command and control era of leadership and about, uh, you know, get, just get the results done and it doesn't matter how that happens, and burn it, burn out and kind of um, not uh, valuing people on the mm -hmm. road to being successful in business. Um, I was always, that always felt incongruent to me because there wasn't this value of the person. There wasn't this caring. Um, there wasn't this necessarily interest in learning about the person so that you could build the relationship. And then once the relationship you know, uh, you get that relationship built, then, you know, the leaders that I did experience that did, uh, did a lot of this, you'd walk through walls for them. You, you'd put the discretionary effort in, but, uh, come back to the Maya Angelou quote that, you know, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but, uh, people will not forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And it always felt incongruent, uh, for the most part in my career, because, that was the culture and the environment I found myself in. And um, I came at things a little bit differently from a, hey, um, let's build the relationships. Let's get to know one another, um, someone on a personal level to the point where um, we can better understand if I'm uh, managing people, um, what are their strengths and how can I best um, give them the opportunity to contribute to that in alignment with what we're trying to do um, for our customers. And then also needing that when I was the person that was the team member and being managed is, hey, um, what do you do well? What do you wanna be doing? And at more, more of an invitation to um, learn more about me so that the, the manager could then um, seek out opportunities for not just me, but the other teammates to uh, tap into and contribute to their strengths, which gives you more energy uh, and lends itself to positive outcomes from that regard. Mm -hmm. I also think with something like that, it gives you an opportunity to innovate and grow as a business when you're able to understand people's strengths and weaknesses versus what they came in with. Um, and almost like having a checklist, you know, as far as this person can do this, this and that, 
and they're not qualified for the other things. So I, I think what you're doing is interesting because it really allows you to tap into the full human potential and really understand the beans for, for what they are at this particular time. But I think more, more so what they could be if they're given the right skills and the right people around them. How much of what you're doing right now and what you've experienced within your time frame would you say is still present within the current workplace as far as these problems of um, companies not taking the time to form these type of relationships with their employees and other people? So while I do believe there are organizations that are doing it, it's not um, nearly as prevalent uh, as myself and others would like. There's still mm-hmm. a long way to go. I think it comes down to curiosity, right? If we're all, cur- if we're generally curious about, you know, we're investing in people, we're deci- making the decision to hire them, but we're not asking questions about who they are during the interview process, I'm finding. And I'm, through personal experience and through um, research, it's really about, do you have the technical skills to do the job we're asking for? And then finding out when we hire people that they may not be a fit because we didn't ask questions about the person that, mm-hmm. you know, behavioral interviewing is part of that, but just really um, getting a sense for the person, what matters to them, what is their, you know, what is their uh, typical mindset and way of being? And is that congruent with not only the work that needs to be done, but the culture we're building and the team we're building and will they fit in? And that, those kind of questions, I feel like we are, uh, we still have a ways to go with respect to uh, how we do that. And as I said, there are organizations that are doing that well. There's mm-hmm. just not, um, there's not a lot uh, of folks that we can point to right now that are doing it well, um, at least not as many as we'd like. Mm. I want to transition from this particular segment into the core of this episode. And the question that I have behind that is why do we need to belong somewhere? I know a lot of the factors that you've mentioned before related to self-acceptance, self-worth, and just meaning um, that creates within our lives. But just based on your experience and the time that you've lived on this planet this far, how would you answer that particular question? So as human beings, um, why do we need to belong? So part of it is it's a human need. Um, We're social creatures. And uh, as such, we need human connection. We need uh, meaningful human connection. Um, we don't need to feel like we're part of something bigger than ourselves. So be that a, a team, a community, um, an organization that where we're uh, striving for the same uh, positive outcomes and success. And that, that's really the base of it is it's a basic human need. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, so that's the why. Um, and so what, what does that look like? It looks like um, for many people is, it starts off being is what, who's my tribe, right? So if we go back to um, the evolution of, of man, you know, that we start off trying to um, survive and then find people that are like us and build our tribes. 
Well, it's 2019 now. And so um, that sense of um, tribal community um, is there's a little bit different um, <laughs> context for that right now. Yet mm -hmm. our reptilian brain still thinks that way in terms of uh, fight or flight when we come up against something that um, rec it gets recognized as fear. It's something mm -hmm. that may be different. And um, I think part of it is uh, reconditioning ourselves to um, what like us means. So like us, and this is part of what uh, led me to and why I have some passion around truly human leadership is uh, we tend to look at difference first, right? And notice mm -hmm. difference. And um, I look at what's the same about us, right? There's, there's a shared humanity valuing each person's unique experience and the unique their unique humanity um, because everybody is different. It's just a fact mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their experience, their, um, how they're wired. Uh, physical makeup. Their, mm -hmm. their physical makeup, their influences, and their choices as they um, grow into adulthood in terms of their beliefs and values that were influenced early on. And which ones of those they choose to carry forward and which ones they choose to let go of because they no longer serve them or not part of the person they're, um, they're becoming or not in integrity with who they are. And so I think that's a lot of it too, is, identi is identifying uh, your values and your beliefs and, um, and seeking out people that are like me and being around people that uh, you feel comfortable around. And so mm -hmm. um, while like us in the tribal sense may, may be really basic in terms of, you know, and this is sort of what we see manifested right now in the corporate world in terms of leadership is, it's viewed as typically white male, and that's largely the reality. And that, that was born of this mindset, I believe, of tribal and people that are like me and comfort level with that and lack of uh, comfort maybe with people that are different. And there was the missed opportunity. It's how do you, and so this is what we, a lot of what I do, and I think where we're going is how do we change the mindset that people have with regard to what a leader looks like. And if someone's different than them, the stereotypes we may carry of them, how do we, how do we um, check ourselves with making assumptions that uh, a person who may be uh, different gender, different ethnicity is representative of that, ethnic that ethnicity rather than who they are individually as a person. And that's where curiosity comes in, is if I have a, a Tito woman or an African-American male or whatever slice of the human um, community we want to talk about, instead of kind of painting them with the stereotype, what if I got curious about who that person was, what their aspirations were, back to your point about thinking about the future and, and where people and organizations might want to go, and how do I then um, make a better informed choice about uh, hiring decisions, um, getting into relationships with people. It's, just, it's, it's essentially the same from a social aspect as it is from a business aspect. When you get curious about someone in terms of a friendship um, or a dating relationship or something like that, you get curious, right? Well, I find we do less of that in, in the workplace because of conditioning. And mm -hmm. so belonging is related to a lot to um, where do I feel safe 
and what is what are my values and how how can I find people that are like that? Um, maybe that's where teams may be a, a place, right? So if it's a team, if it's a debate team because you have people that are similarly interested in that, that's something that you might get involved with, or a band um, because that's something you're interested in getting involved with, or a soccer team. But you're finding communities, people that have similar interests. That's a place where you might seek to find belonging, and that starts with identifying what is it that you value, what are you interested in. And what do you have uh, energy around and then seeking out like-minded people? And I think that's what as humans we do um, initially and instinctively. But what if people don't really have a, some clarity around their identity and um, what's important to them? Then mm -hmm. there's a process of, okay, let's, let's go through uh, some questioning and some reflection to see what that might be. And then go explore and try, try things out to get to a point where you can start to identify potential communities where you might want to uh, explore. Mm -hmm. You bring up a lot of very good points. One of those points is I'm actually noticing through a friend of mine, age is a big problem uh, within today's, I would say hiring process when you try and get into that field, because you know, what ends up happening is that a lot of the companies are ran by those who are younger. And so I guess the assumptions that are being made is that because you're older, you're not capable to have or even acquire certain skills. Um, some of those I know in particular come to computer programming. And so it's, it's very interesting as far as the tips and the tricks that you've shared in helping leaders that are within that position of making a decision for a possible hire to look back and, and really just evaluate the person for who they are and what they're capable of instead of um, making assumptions and saying, well, just because this person is 50 and above, that doesn't mean that they can't do certain things in life. Great point, Oleg. And, and so you come back to curiosity, right? And so mm -hmm. uh, I think of the, have you seen the movie, The Intern with Robert De Niro? I have, yep. So you bring me back to that, right? And so initially how, um, the woman was resistant to have senior interns. The organization apparently had decided to do that. And then she finds out that this guy has all these valuable skills and all he wants to do is contribute. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to mindset and how we choose to see a situation and, um, and curiosity. What might someone of a different generation bring that has 30 or 40 years of experience? Mm -hmm. What might some, or you know, either if you want to go to the, a uh, young entrepreneur who might benefit from someone that's older or in the reverse, right? In terms of some more senior people and how they think about the younger generation. And I experienced some of this too, was I was managing millennials coming through the college hire process into our, um, our rotation program. And we got all this training on millennials and, and it was like, it was interesting, right? In terms of um, things to be, uh, aware of and um, what I noticed working with them is that they're no different than any other human being. Mm -hmm. They're just less afraid of speaking their mind and sharing what they need. Where some of the older generations, because of uh, conditioning and you know uh, just doing their jobs and wanting job security and you know not wanting to rock the boat kind of mentality. <coughs> Maybe, or because they had um, financial dependency on their job 
and didn't want to compromise that or believe that they would be compromising that if they spoke against something or raised a, a contrarian perspective that might add value because of the potential and their mind consequences. Mm -hmm. How, what would you say, based on your experience of going through that um, life, how do, you, how do you develop the courage, I guess, to speak up for yourself in an environment like that where things aren't working out or maybe the leadership is not as well developed as it should be? Because what I'm noticing is that oftentimes we as people tend to just settle for what's there and based on a lot of the same factors that you had just shared, financial security and just, I guess, not being, not being that person within that workplace that all of a sudden, you know, makes the new changes and um, that actually get implemented. So how do you, in a position like that, where you experiencing certain things within your leadership of the company that you're working with, how do you develop that courage? What's the first step that you can take in standing up for yourself and maybe your fellow employees? So you've got to determine what you're going to stand for. And so uh, the culture has been, my perspective, one of compliance, right? You mm -hmm. come in, you do your job, play your role. And it, there's a lot of that. Not, I'm not saying 100% that there's not other ways of being that are, are, are actually um, supportive of people speaking up. But for a lot of the um, Gen Xers, millennials, and even in the workplace now, there's an expectation of compliance. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a leading from authority rather than from um, a more inclusive and um, we-focused approach. So to have the courage, I'd say first, you've got to uh, be clear about who you are and stand in your values. Then it's about the how you communicate your differing perspective and how you tailor it to not be about you, but to be about how um, thinking differently and the way you're going to propose would add value to uh, the business problem or solution you're creating. Mm. And it's about, it's how it's, it's communicate. Then it comes down to courage to kind of know who you are and be willing to speak up, mm -hmm. um, have that courageous conversation. And then it's, it's communication skills. It's um, how do you, how do you raise a differing perspective and not just to be different, not for a, to cause um, turmoil, but for a purposeful reason that puts something on the table for others to consider that might result in a better outcome for a product or a service um, or to solve a problem that you've been struggling with. Mm -hmm. Final thought for today's episode. And that is, this is a question that I ask all of our guests when the odds are completely against you, what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to? I would say be true to yourself. And again, it comes back to um, self-awareness, self-knowledge and your values and then being in integrity with that. And so when things are against me, uh, first of all, uh, try and hold the perspective of uh, this is just temporary right now and be present in the moment. And so trying to, trying to hold a mindset of 
all right, there's a struggle or a challenge I'm faced with right now. How might I shift out of this? And um, thinking, trying to gear myself towards solution-oriented thinking rather than deficit thinking. And so uh, these are things I, I talk about with clients and people that are trying to create change in lives. But when you're facing something that's challenging um, and it's not something that there's an immediate danger or anything like that, I'll, I'll, I'll exclude that for the moment because then you just got to um, respond in the moment. Um, but if you're thinking about something, if, if something's challenging you right now and you need to overcome something, so overcoming overwhelm is a topic that's pretty hot right now uh, in the business world, right? People are stressed mm -hmm. out. You're overcoming overwhelm. How might I take a break? How might I take a pause? How might I just get time to uh, slow down my mind, meditate? Um, maybe it's a gratitude practice, but some way to get myself grounded in, um, and back into myself and who I am and, and kind of connecting to um, my kind of inner, inner guide and not be overwhelmed by everything externally that may be causing chaos for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think what, what I've found is that oftentimes people are looking externally for solutions or validations or um, the answer to how to help themselves. And what a, the journey typically is for uh, the work I do with people is um, first grounding them in, you know, you're resourceful as a person as you are, you're, you're, you're whole. You may not have all the answers, but what if you started looking internally for um, what might be the, be the best next step for you? And then the empowerment that comes with that, that I'm not helpless. I may not have the answer, in which case I may need to go uh, ask for help, which is another muscle a lot of folks um, would benefit from building and just the courage to go ask for help. Mm -hmm. um, where that may be difficult for folks. I know it has been difficult for me for a long time uh, because of, a, of what that meant. And a little, there's vulnerability in that too. Mm -hmm. uh, and the and fear so of rejection as well. Fear of rejection, vulnerability. To, people will think less of me. And so um, there's an opportunity too to shift that mindset from vulnerability uh, to, hey, uh, interdependence. Uh, you have something that... I, I don't have what I need right now. Um, I'm going to go ask someone else that um, may have the wisdom to help me uh, move past this. And mm -hmm. it, takes, it takes some confident vulnerability, which is a term I use a lot in terms of um, how we deal with our everyday life. We, 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 we know who we are, we know who we're not, and we're okay with both. And the thing that most people are challenged with is being okay with what they're not. And so um, once we come to grips with that part of ourselves and, and understand that it's okay not to be perfect and not to be everything to everybody, we can stand in our greatness and who we are. And then where we may not, um, where we may have what we'll call weakness for purposes of conversation, um, but where we don't have natural strengths that are able to, or resources to serve our needs, we ask for help from those others that do. And that's what makes us human. Everybody's different. So that we can, as a, uh, as a team, as a group, as a community, as a society, we can help one another if we have that mindset of um, doing that and not fearing the rejection or the, the um, potential outcomes of how you'll be received when you do that. 
And I think that's what the conditioning most people have is um, that it'll be viewed as weakness or something along those lines. And so they're hesitant to put themselves out there when that's what they most need to do if they don't have the resources internally to help them move to the next, next step for themselves. Mm-hmm. How do people find you, Brian? And what are some of the things that you have coming up that people can follow you closely with on some of the projects and some of the upcoming work? Sure. The, the best place would be social media. So LinkedIn, um, Facebook, uh, my website, BrianKellyLeadershipCoaching.com. Uh, some of the things coming up, uh, I will be doing, uh, there's going to be an ev- events locally here in DC and then across the country for Humans First, which is a group that I've uh, connected with that um, is focused on creating a more human workplace and just more human interactions with one another. And a lot of what we've been talking about today in terms of how we see one another, how we engage with one another and um, how we truly put caring of people uh, as a priority, even ahead of business results, realizing that when we build those relationships and we create that, that culture of caring, that mm-hmm. leads to better human and business outcomes. Um, I'll, of course, be um, with you with Overcoming Odds in Austin, Texas. And then I'm going to have, I'll have on my website um, some new things with regard to book studies. I've gotten some book study um, experiences that have led me to want to create opportunities to serve through book studies to help people with some of these topics that are human and that people are looking to shift. And so I'll have some of those posted as well in, in the near future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on our show and sharing your experience. And on this topic of belonging, it, it was a pleasure for me to hear, hear that. And it's been a pleasure for me to work with you alongside um, and uncover a lot of these elements that we spoke about today. Thank you so much for having me, Oleg. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of the latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.